0: Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org.
1: I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with many screens, big picture, my newly relaunched podcast. And I'm so happy today to have Jason Garasio. He put together an incredible list of the 33 best movie endings of all time, and they're ranked 33 down to one. And Jason is a senior entertainment reporter at Insider and has covered various aspects of the film industry for close to two decades. You don't look old enough that you could have done this for two decades, Jason, but welcome to Many Screens Big Picture. Thank you, Paul. That's a great introduction, and I'm very happy to be here. And Jason, I'm just really happy to have you here. I know we talk a lot about business and the business side of the business, but tonight, or today, or depending on what time zone you're in, I want to do something a little different. I want to talk about a piece that you put together that you wrote about The best movie endings of all time. Jason, I'm going to give the floor to you. Tell us about the story, what a gallery is when it's on a website, for those who don't know, and how this came to be for Insider.
0: Well, first, Paul, thank you for having me. It's um, a great honor to always chat with you, but especially with this, I'm very excited because I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, you know... uh, Insider, like many sites, you know, do galleries or slideshows or whatever you want to call it, and it's a you know it sums up. Um, uh, can be anything from the best movies of the year to something really narrowed down like this to a certain type of genre or even just a piece of the um, uh, the storytelling. And so for this one, it's uh, me with all my knowledge uh, ranking. The 33 best movie endings of all time. Um, uh, I I expect a lot of mail from this uh, conversation we're going to have, um, but that's fine with me. Um, uh, I I think it is a worthy list. That's why I'm proud to um, talk about it here with you. And um, And why
1: the number 33, Jason? You came um, up with 33. Is that 33 and a third on the vinyl album? Well, what, what is that? What is that reference?
0: I wish I could tell you that there was some type of uh, um, ultimate uh, uh, number or something like that. Um, 33 is just where it landed on at the end of the ah. day where I just felt like this is um, a uh, list of titles that I feel is, is worthy Um, and um, you know, sometimes it's fun just to throw up like a little crooked number there, you know. You know, I like you know, sometimes it's a little boring to do 20 or 15 or 10,
1: right? Or top 10, you know, we've all yeah, and 33. I mean, that's cinematic numerology in place somehow. On this, I I love the number again because 33 and a third is you know the speed of a vinyl album or 45, but 33 and a third means a lot to me. I knew you
0: would throw some type of music thing into this, which I totally dig. I'm, I'm I'm, glad that you are going way beyond anything that I ever thought about with the number 33. I love
1: it. Well, you know, we all read things into other people's work that have nothing to do with what they intended, but what we interpret, which is kind of interesting. So what I think we're going to do, we're just going to do a lightning round. How lightning it'll be, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to start just randomly. I literally... And it's interesting because this popped up as number 13 on your list of top movie endings. Scarface, the 1983 version, of course, with Al Pacino, a brilliant film. It's legendary. Of course, I know why I would put this on my list, but, but how did this one... Uh, I think it's a natural for this. How did this pop onto the list?
0: Number 15 down, I believe is like the Holy grail of, of movie endings. And, and you may argue about where they are in the placement, but you cannot argue of why they're there. Um, De Palma Scarface is, um, is an amazing film. It is a take off of um, the, um, uh, the Scarface movie of the pre-code days that was um, uh, produced by Howard Hughes and directed by Howard Hawks. And, um, starred Paul Mooney, and that was more um, focused on uh, Al Capone. De Palma and Oliver Stone um, screenwriting went and made a um, rethinking of it in set in Miami during um, you know um, the Castro years of you know Cuban exiles coming over, and um and and when uh, cocaine was just king. Currency. <laughs> yeah. In Southern Florida. Yeah. So why not have Al Pacino, you know, play a, um, a, you know, a Cuban immigrant, um, with a bad attitude and, and, a, a questionable, um, affinity for his sister and, um, and complete um, becomes a complete madman at the end of the movie fueled by cocaine, really taking on the ending of the Hawks movie, but to an nth degree and I mean, I can tell you, I don't know how you were, Paul, when you saw this movie, but you know, I am of the the you know VHS age. I would re- rewind the ending of this movie nonstop yeah. until basically the tape wore out because <laughs> it is so powerful and it's it, and it's just so fast and moves so quickly that you just have to, once it once it's over, once he's shot in the back and falls into the water and it says the yeah. world is mine. Um, you just have to just rewind it again and rewatch it just to, just to catch just Pacino's performance
1: and, and the shots and the editing. I agree. Um, And wasn't, there's a lot of mythology around the shooting of that final scene that Steven Spielberg was on set that Al Pacino grabbed the barrel of a red hot machine gun and had to leave production for a couple of weeks and come back. I mean, it was a, it was a movie just rife with a lot of intrigue behind the scenes and I think you see that in the mania of the movie. But the movie is, I believe, I, I'm just going from memory, like almost three hours long. Yeah. But it never feels like three hours. By the time you get to the end, you don't feel like you've been sitting there for three hours. It's a cinematic crime opera, if you will. And I, I just love it. I, I agree with the end, your choice for the ending when he falls into the water. The water turns red with Tony Montana's blood. And even though in many ways, and obviously he's somewhat of a a morally ambiguous character to say the least. (laughs) Just a little. I always say that whoever is the lead of the piece is still your hero. Even if they're the most despicable human being on the planet, no matter who it is, uh, you root for them. You're rooting for Tony Montana the whole way through. And you actually are rooting for him to get the hitmen, of which there are many, running in there, like a like a swarm of of ants trying to get him. And he's like, You F with me, you messing with all those great lines. Well, yeah, the memorable lines and, and he's he's knocking them all out one by one.
0: And you think, Wow, he's he might pull it off, you know? And and you know, clearly he doesn't, but you're right. It is it is a movie where you, you root for the anti-hero. Yeah. And just your point on De Palma bringing Spielberg to set, which is which is true. I mean there's there's picture proof of that because it's in the De Palma documentary. You know, imagine how these guys were that they could just call up their friends being Scorsese, <laughs> Spielberg, whoever, and just be like come <laughs> yeah, come to set today because I'm gonna blow your mind. I mean, that's right. what these guys did. And so it's 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 a funny little note to that that De Palma would call up Spielberg and, and for this scene and say, come and check this scene out.
1: And remember too, the the Spielberg at that time was thought of as just very, you know, PG-rated, kind of yeah. more family-friendly fare. But obviously, that was a bit of a misnomer on on Spielberg. I think that that he was pigeonholed here. And De Palma was always the edgiest of the edgy. Of of those filmmakers, uh, that he didn't shy away from any subject matter, and also just his use of the camera. And then, of course, to have De Palma directing an Oliver Stone script that was written in some very intense times for Oliver Stone, it's all reflected there. That mania comes through. But I just I think the one thing we can all learn from this is that look out for a guy in sunglasses with a gun walking up behind you, like a really cool-looking guy. You know, the guy finally (laughs) takes it out.
0: It's black night. This guy shows up in sunglasses, climbs the rope to the top of the balcony, <laughs> sneaks his way in and shoots him dead in the back. Yeah, yeah. Always look out for the man wearing sunglasses in, in, in dead at night. night
1: with a gun, <laughs> climbing up your transom, so to speak. Um, <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on. That's a great one. I love Scarface. We're going to jump all over this list. I think that one of the best ones for me, and this is a totally different direction in terms of the type of movie, is The Shawshank Redemption, which I think we can all agree is a movie and it's on everyone's list of the movies you can't stop watching if you come across either streaming or on a network or on cable. It's just a brilliant film. Obviously, Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins were were made for those roles. I remember seeing this movie at a trade screening screen for theater owners weeks sometimes months before the actual release and this movie went through a lot of title changes Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption right. and think of that title we now have that title emblazoned in our minds and what that movie is but if you go back to, and it's obviously based on a St- uh, Stephen King yeah uh, short story, story which
0: I believe the title was Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption yeah I believe. yeah
1: But we didn't, those of us who were uninitiated, I'm like, what the heck is it? Shawshank Redemption could have been about anything. Anyway, talk about the, the ending is really, I think, actually very heartening, if that's a word. It's very, uh, not melancholy, it's actually celebrative, because these two guys meet up at the end, kind of, they always talked about someday when we get out of prison, we'll be on a a desert island someday.
0: Yeah, these are things that these two men talked about while in prison for all those years. Andy Dufresne escapes um, famously through um, the waste pipe, <laughs> and in <and> the pouring <laughs> rain, just to build up the cinema of it all. And um, and Red Red, played by Morgan Freeman, is left in prison, kind of one of the left last one of the gang. And um, he gets out, and um, you know what? What you know? There's that great shot before the ending when he's in his room, and he um, kind of edges his name in. And yeah. we have seen that from a previous character. What happened with then was that the man hung himself. That's right. Um, but um, you know, uh, what's Red say? Red says, "Get busy living or get, get busy, busy dying." dying. You're yep. Damn right. And and what's the next shot? The next shot is him kind of on his journey to go see Andy. And beautiful music. You know, the, there's the great shot of him walking along the stone path to the tree to get the note that's going to kind of take him to the next thing and like a clue and, right and uh you know he kind of looks around before he opens it up you know make sure nobody's looking or anything and uh, i mean just the performances the way it was shot and then yes and then the final ending with the music coming in and Andy's there, yeah.
1: and got a tan already he's working it makes men and women cry at the
0: end of that movie it's a beautiful it's a beautiful ending
1: and is it Z- Z-Watt Nail, where they meet? I can't yeah,
0: I forget what it was. Yeah, it was something like It was like some
1: that. beautiful paradise. And when Andy Dufresne, as portrayed obviously by Tim Robbins, stands up and sees red, he looks like he's just tan yeah. and beautiful and happy and his blue eyes are sparkling. And he sees his old buddy who they went through all this with. And we've gone along on that journey, which that movie is interesting because – at once, it's like a very intense, very brutal movie. But then sort of like, at times, it's like this sweet buddy movie. You know, the the way that Frank Darabont mixed all those elements was really amazing. And, you know, I know we're talking about final scenes, but the scene on the roof where they share the beer, the suds. Yeah. I don't know if they're putting tar on a roof or They were tar on the roof, right. They were tarring the roof. That could have been the end of any movie, and it would have been <laughs> great right there. So, yeah.
0: Great. Pick. One of the, the one rare time when they felt like free men. That's
1: right. That's right. Ha- sharing a beer with your buddies. Yeah, That's you know? really cool. I'm gonna jump now to number 19, which is kind of interesting because I remember uh, Bonnie and Clyde came out in 1967. I was six years old, but I remember my parents coming home from seeing this movie and describing the violence at the end with the with the the machine gun, just the it's a ballet, really. It's a pe- very peck and paw in the balletic balletic nature of the shooting of Bonnie and Clyde. And it's just, at, at that time, we're so used to this level of violence now where you were just talking about Scarface. We become somewhat immune to that. But at the time in 1967, remember this was a time when studios uh, were making very kind of by the, not by the numbers, but just more traditional movies. But this movie started ushering in, I think, that film school style where nothing was out of reach in terms of thematically, and in terms of violence. So, Warren Beatty as Clyde Barrow, and Faye Dunaway as Bonnie Parker. How'd you uh, come to pick this one?
0: I mean, uh, you know, th- this is one that, like, like you said, has a lot of history behind it. In the actual, just kind of, you know, ending itself, you know, it's 1967 you don't see heroes or anti-heroes kind of go out this way. You know, like you said, we were in a time where things were a lot more vanilla. You know, this this didn't happen to the person that you followed the whole movie, or not often. So to see them kind of all go down in a hail of bullets, um, and the way it's done, you know, with just kind of the freeze, freeze for a moment, of both of them kind of looking at each other, bo- 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 of the audience side, seeing both of them, and then in the bushes, and then boom—the the, the fire comes. Um, you know that is a that is a. I'm sure it was jarring for your parents. It Was jarring for audiences to see that. And like again, like you said, that birthed what would be kind of the you know the the auteur, you know, chapter of Hollywood. Because yeah. um, you know, after that came Easy Rider. You know, after that came coppola into the space which then you know came to palma then became scorsese so this is the movie this is the landmark movie and this is the ending that none of that worked you know we wouldn't have a lot of the movies i mean we might have had some of the movies but they wouldn't have been at the hollywood studio level yeah so um so uh, it also
1: made a lot of money right yeah and remember again like we said it's 1967 this is five you know we think Easy Rider and some of those really edgy movies came later. This was like the prototype of some of those movies that were yet to come in the 70s where really things open up. The film school generation really started doing that. But I love your pick here. It's a really interesting one. And the editing was great. Absolutely. Yeah, I love the, the narrative. And for people who don't know, go to Insider and check out this piece. It's really cool. The 33 best movie endings of all time ranked. And I love that because Jason Garasio, who's my guest today, he did a great job with this because people always talk about movie endings and how they can make or break a movie and how there's some movies that are per, uh, quote unquote perfect up to the ending. And then somehow, I mean, I guess I am not a filmmaker, but from what I have always read is that the endings are always, that's like, how do you, how do you end the movie? That's the final scene. That's your last thought. That's how you walk out. You could take a movie, in my estimation, that's a eight or a nine up to that point and drop it to a five if the ending is terrible. Uh, not that I like to rank art because it's really kind of wrong, but I'm just saying it can definitely do that. And other movies are elevated by their endings where you might have a movie that you might be sitting there and those are sneaky movies. And I, that's going to bring me to the, to the next pick that you had, which was a brilliant film. I'm not saying this wasn't brilliant. It was throughout, but I don't think anyone really understood how this movie would end on so many levels and that's number 33 on your list 2007's there will be blood paul thomas anderson at the height of his powers the first what jason talk about opening scenes i think nobody speaks in that movie there's just sound and sound design and grunting and you know for 30 minutes before daniel plainview speaks a single word daniel day lewis is brilliant talk about uh, there will be blood for a minute.
0: This is by far my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I remember seeing this at a press screening um, in 2007 and and not just saying that this is the best film of the year, but that people will not fully appreciate this movie for years yeah. because that's just how amazing it is. And people, you know, people understood it then people got it, but it is only kind of grown uh, just the way kind of Boogie Nights has grown and, and you know, his other work, but I, this oh, yeah. is the one for me that is, is a masterwork. Can we give and, it up though for Paul Dano? Well, I mean, you know, Paul, another reason why this movie is amazing. Another reason why this ending is amazing because you, you have the final confrontation between Eli Sunday and Daniel Plainview, Eli Sunday being Paul Dano and Plain view being Daniel Day Lewis, and um you know the the you know uh, talking about kind of stories on set. You know there there were always the stories of these two. You know, or, or just you know <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis just just hammering, just going at Paul Dano just every day. Yeah, because of the characters that they played. But you know the ending is great because Eli is coming in, being the one that feels like he has the leverage. Yep and it ends up that he completely does not have the leverage at all and that plain view even um older and completely wealthy beyond his days is still a cold-hearted bastard and and just will rip rip your soul out and that's what he does to um for Eli.
1: Oh yeah. Well, Eli humiliated Daniel early on uh in church or yeah. uh, makeshift church and I think That just stuck with because Daniel wanted to make a deal with that community and he was willing to, you know, be a supplicant in a way to Aldano's character and all that anger. Like I can never go to a bowling alley again, personally. (laughs) It's just without looking over my shoulder because that that final scene is so beautifully shot. It's very Kubrick-esque. You have a you have a picture on your on your piece of just that. It's very much like it's It's, it's very much like a
0: master shot really yeah for people that don't know you know they have this argument and it leads into you know the bowling alley because you know Plainview is rich so of course he'd have a bowling alley in his house and um it ends with him bashing um eli to death with one of the pins and at the very end going you know i'm finished you know i'm done and um and that and then we go to black you know and and it's and it's a very wide shot we don't go in close we see all the action and it ends and you know daniel day lewis's back is to us and he just turns and says i'm finished and and it's and it's almost like he's going to paul you know he's going to the director i'm finished i'm done i got nothing left you know and that and and we cut right there because there's nothing left but but it, it you're all right though it's like Watching this movie, you have no clue how it's going to end. How how do you end a movie like this, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, you could have had a very traditional ending. And I think while watching this movie, you think, oh, uh, Daniel Plainview is going to get his comeuppance or his son is going to come back at the end. He's going to say, I'm so sorry, son. I'm older now. And I've become very emotional. And I, I realize the error of my ways. No freaking way. Yeah. You know, I will drink your milkshake. <laughs> that never changed throughout Daniel Plainview's life, and it's just such an amazing. I mean, I could we could do a half hour on just this movie, God, but right. we'll move on. But that's a great <laughs> choice uh, for number thirty three. I'm gonna now move to number thirty two, which is "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest," which is uh, playing on Netflix because of Ratchet, the the retelling of the Nurse Ratchet origin story that is getting a lot of attention. But the original One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I spoke with another guest about this a couple episodes ago, that to me this is a perfect movie with an absolutely perfect and heartbreaking ending. 1975, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, number 32 on Jason Garaccio's insider list of the top 33 movie endings of all time. Talk about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest a little bit, that ending. It's jack nicholson just
0: being amazing without having to do anything you know a little side note to this is that for people that don't know you know this was on the stage first and played by played amazingly by kirk douglas um and then um you know jack went and did the movie version and did an incredible job with it and um you know and then you have will sampson as chief who throughout the movie is is the most, one of the most lovable characters in the whole movie because he doesn't say a word. He's this big guy, um, you know, Native American who just you know is picked on all the time, or because he's big, he's kind of left alone by some, picked on by others. But you know, McMurphy, you know, Jack Nicholson's character goes right to him instantly, even when he gets gets on the ward. You know, he goes right to him. Because he's the biggest guy, you know. He kind of—it's almost like you know, going to the prison movie. You know, for a second, it's like you know, you want to be friends with the biggest guy. Exactly. um, Exactly. uh, McMurphy, by this point, is completely is at everybody's wit's end. You know, he did the big party led to, you know, the death of his friend and Nurse Ratched, choking out Nurse Ratchet you know, so he's done. You know, we know that once he's dragged away, it's over for him and he gets lobotomized. That's right. And he comes back and he is just completely, he's not there. He is embodied, but not soul
1: Because Milos Forman is so brilliant. We think because earlier we were faked out a little bit because they did the electroshock therapy on McMurphy and then he walks in and he's at, he's pretending to be Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but in a fugue state or or whatever it is. And then he goes, ah, you know, he's like faking that. But then when he comes back and he's truly lobotomized and we see the scars of that on him, it's just a devastating moment. And there's a point in the movie where, you know, they make it out like Nicholson's for this uh, violent and somewhat selfish character, but he's not. He actually took those guys out on a boat He helped them escape. He could have left the night after, you know, the morning after, I should say. Right, right. was almost like a bachelor party for Billy Bibbit. And he could have just gone out the window. And he stays. And he paid for that with his, you know, with his intellect, his humor. And they really stopped him. But I'll let you continue. I mean, because it is just a perfect, heartbreaking ending.
0: The the beautiful part of this ending is that, you know, Chief shows up and, um, you know, he says, I'm getting you out of here, but it's, it's, it's a different way. You know, he yeah. kind of takes McMurphy's soul inside of him, the strength that he'd never had before to kind of lift up that giant you know, water machine or whatever it was, yeah, you know, ripped it right room. out of the <laughs> tile floor, water spewing everywhere. He's carrying it, lugging it, throws it out the window and out he goes. And then there's that great shot of Christopher Lloyd, one of the, you know, one of the, you know, patience, he lifts up and he's like, Yeah, you know, he's yeah. got that stream as as that weird soundtrack that's that I mean, like a theremin yeah. I don't know if that's a theremin or what that is. It's so cool. As you know, as as the sun is rising and the mountain. And i
1: t- this here, Jason. At the end of that movie, I cry in, and in happiness and sadness because to have McMurphy taken away, it's such a like an amazing soul, a a bird that you can't cage. And then for chief to recognize that and essentially put him, you know, smother him with a pillow, which is a brutal scene, but it, you, you see the beauty in it. And then the final shot of chief, just running off with that great music and escaping that whole thing. And nurse ratchet really doesn't change that much. It seems, but wow, what a powerful, I mean,
0: movie. amazing performance by Jack. And I don't want to hijack your show. But I feel a perfect segue. Do it. Hi, Jack. We got to talk about Chinatown now because another amazing ending and a very different Jack performance.
1: It's Chinatown, Jake.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Chinatown. You know, talk that's- about
1: Chinatown. Roman Polanski uh, directing a, a movie that, again, was in those days where a lot of what is considered normal, or not normal, traditional cinema now, was avant-garde. At the time some of the choices made in editing so, some of the uh the casting choices let's talk about chinatown
0: so that's that's number nine on the list yeah for very good reason i feel because it is one of those not just famous movie endings but famous kind of like hollywood endings i mean how many times you hear people go you know forget it it's chinatown I, or <laughs> at least that clip of the guy yeah. going to nicholson going forget it jake it's chinatown I mean, um, because you you don't know why the movie's called Chinatown. The story, Robert Town's story, never really gets into it except to when Jack, you know, Jake it is at a certain point talks briefly about patrolling Chinatown. You never actually really get into that. And then at the very end, you understand it. You know, it's just like this is there's no understanding, and that and that is Chinatown. And and yeah, the the ending where, you know, Faye Dunaway Dun- playing Evelyn Mulray, you know, uh, the crazy twist of her of her of her dad, and it's not her dad, her daughter, and it's not my daughter, it's my sister, all that stuff. And 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 as John all-
1: Houston, right? Plays her dad. I love it when directors are in other directors' yeah. movies as actors. Yeah.
0: And um, and yeah, and Polanski, you know, plays a small little part, a very memorable part in this movie as well, you know, slicing Nicholson's nose. Yep. Yeah. Um, but um, but this you know the ending of just you know Noah Cross and Evelyn kind of you know uh, having their confrontation and and what follows you know her death um, uh, from a very long distance too that was always weird that you know the, the she got shot driving away oh yeah that's right like the car just kind of loops along and the car just goes kind of putters away and then you just hear her head on the on the uh, yeah on, 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 on the horn and you know and uh you know and giddys runs over and and he's got nothing else to say he's just like got to get out of here and and uh the movie ends and it's it's just one of those beautiful movies and that's the only way you can end a movie like that that wanted to really celebrate film noir and old hollywood it's an unbelievable ending
1: i i think it's one of those where you know we're so used to twist endings now and this was a twist not about some weird metaphysical thing or some uh, sci-fi twist or time travel. It was very personal, perhaps one of the most personal, personally revealing elements of any movie that you just didn't get until the end. That's the genius of it, that you're taking on this path. And at the very end, it shows the patience of filmmakers, of these filmmakers and screenwriter to wait till the end to give this big reveal we've talked about this before about how some movies they're kind of telegraphing things to you but you don't it's maybe more subconscious and if you're overthinking it you may not be enjoying if you're trying to figure out where the movie's going maybe it's not the best movie i love with this movie you just give yourself up to it and at the end are like
0: <laughs> yep absolutely <laughs> it's your and then and then your, your daughter i know and then there's just a performance by by jack nicholson which you know is you know, we, we go talking about cuckoo's nest. It's a very different performance, but is as powerful. And it's again, it's it's the silence. It's him knowing, you know, uh, that you know there there's you know actions speak louder than words, and um, uh, you know, yeah. he's he's not lobotomized in this one, but he might as well have just be just. You know, you can see it on his face. He's just so kind of just shocked by everything. There's nothing to say.
1: It's funny that you say that too. You can see it on his face literally because once Polanski tells him he's a nosy fella and cuts his nose, he's literally marked for the whole movie. And how many actors would wear a thing, you know, for a while there, it's a big, like, I don't know, big bandage or something. Yeah. And then it turns into kind of a, you know, it's it's healing over the course of the movie. And I don't know if Jake Giddis is healing throughout the movie, but, man, what an ending. Right, but you're right. What what movie star
0: is going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll just wear a bandage over my nose for, like, most of the movie. You know, I'll be Practically the whole movie. I'm, you know, my, my ego is not going to be, you know, shook by that at all. Right. It was the
1: right choice. Jack Nicholson's the man. Yeah. We're not going to get to all these movies, and I actually will suggest to you that we revisit this list to get to all of them. This will be our last one. This is number one on your list. Let's do it. Talk about a twist ending, okay? And I saw this movie first run as I love to age myself by telling people how proud I am that I saw this movie first run 2001 and that movie first run. But this one, I really did. My dad took myself and my, you know, me and my sisters to see this at Man's Chinese Theater back in the day. And so the number one movie ending, which I agree with you 100%. Again, teleport back to 1968 for the original Planet of the Apes movie. What a film! What an ending! My seven-year-old brain couldn't even figure out what the hell happened. I didn't know. Wait, where are we? We're like, why is Statue of Liberty on this beach? I literally was not smart enough to figure it out. My dad had to explain it to me in the car on the way home. I was gonna
0: say, seven years old. Yeah. What? What was your mind thinking at seven years old at the end of this movie? You probably were just like, "What in the world is going on here? Why is..." This guy screaming at the top of his lungs on a beach.
1: I had no idea. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't go, oh, they were always on Earth the whole time. I never thought that. I just thought, like, why? What? Yeah. This is number one on your 33 top movie endings of all time on Insider. Jason Garasio wrote this piece. It's a gallery, but also with a narrative in there. So I suggest you, you we'll put a link to this everywhere, you know, Books and tapes are sold. Definitely check out this piece. But Jason, explain about number one: the original Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes, nineteen sixty-eight.
0: You know, when when you think of movie endings, you know it's hard to not make this number one. I mean, the, you 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 had no clue that this is how that movie would end. You know, and and um, you know, Doctor, you know, Zayas, you know, is like you know watch out for what you're going to find out there, you know, and he, and he goes out uh, with, with Dova and gets on the horse and, you know, it's so beautiful too. They're on a beach, you know, it's very kind of bookend for how it was in the beginning, but then, you know, we're getting into the water now with Nova and, you know, the water's crashing and he, he's seeing something, but you have no clue what he's seeing. And he gets off the horse and, you know, you monsters, you blew it up. And it turns and And he's
1: pounding the sand. He's on his knees and Nova's looking at him like, Hey, we just got away. You should be happy. She has no
0: clue what, what significance that is at all. And, And there we see it. And it's the Statue of Liberty. And this is what's great about this ending. And is that you see it, the waves are crashing. And what, what does it do? It goes, it goes to the credits. And there's no music or anything, nothing. It's just, it keeps the waves crashing. There's the silence because they because they wanted you to kind of sit in that theater like young Paul did at seven years old <laughs> with his dad, sitting in the theater, just still absorbing it all. And those are the best kind of endings where it's not like, all right, you know, let's throw in some music and get everybody out of the theater. They wanted you to stay in your seat and just let it just kind of, soak in of just like what you just saw. And that, that's, I mean, that that is an amazing ending to me. And in in any book is when you can pull that out. And this is, I mean, I don't care who you are. You show this movie to any generation and they will be blown away by this ending. I don't care who they are. I don't care what other movies they've seen or anything. I mean, this,
1: this, to me, Jason, this, this, the end of this movie, even at that young age for me, seeing it first run in a theater, was like hearing the Beatles for the first time. I I kid you not. Because I had never seen... Now, I'd seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, trying to get, you know, uh, very well-versed in movies at a young age. That was because of my parents. But I was just, like, flabbergasted. And you're right. I, I didn't really think about that that much. That in a, in a traditional movie, you would have had... Dun, dun, dun! Like... Whoa! What the big reveal? Right. Is, and instead, it's just a cra- him crying or exclaiming, whatever, pounding the sand. And then the way they, you know, they pan up to the Statue of Liberty, and then they even go behind it. It's this really cool move. I don't know how they did it. And then you see Heston and Nova. You know, Heston, uh, Heston's character, George Taylor. George and, Taylor. Yes. And Nova from behind Statue of Liberty. And remember too, we are so used to having seen movies knowing how they end. This is when nobody had seen this movie. But I love what you said. Less was more. They literally like pulled out all the sound. They ran the credits, which was somewhat traditional to have like credits rolling. But it wasn't traditional to just have waves crashing. There was no, as I know, even after that. And I think that was the days when they didn't roll like this huge amount of credits. They would do the, Oh, right, stars. Yeah. It was like the top line
0: cast and
1: yeah. And then that was it. the logo and that was it. Yeah. So yeah, I love this pick because this really spoke to me And Franklin J. Schaffner. I think that's not a name that people know that much as a director did a fantastic job directing this movie. And I don't think that's enough credit. And Paul, you know, what makes an amazing
0: kind of ending or slash movie moment is how often it gets parodied. Oh, and- yeah. Think about how many times this ending and just Charlton Heston yelling has been just, you know, so many parodies of this. That countless, TV, movies, everything. That, that's yeah. when you know that you, you, you did it. Yeah, absolutely. That's when you know you got it right. Well, you know
1: what's interesting too about this, Jason, is that it's not only a great movie ending. It's the beginning of, what was the second, Beneath the plan of the Apes. Beneath the plan of the Apes, which,
0: you know… I'll take it. pretty pretty good, man. That the ending of Beneath Planet of the Apes um, was good because it was bad. Good. You know, Charlton Essen does not show up through any of the movie until the very end. What does he do at the very end just to get himself killed off? That's the only reason he yeah. shows up in the sequel is to show up the last five minutes so he can get killed off and That's not right. only get killed off, but blow up everything. That's right. Blow up to get the ultimate payback. <laughs> but these Planet of the apes if no one has seen it. Uh, just just who has not seen it out there? I highly
1: recommend it. Do you think, and I could be totally wrong here that that was in the first instances of a movie, literally taking the exact footage from the end of the first movie, and using it to start. I remember Rocky too did the same thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the early ones, and and, and you know to to kind of beef up the cheesiness of the era. I mean, in the to start the movie, yes, we get the whole kind of ending of the first one to start the second one, and then what's he do? He 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 comp- he keeps on riding with Nova, and then he like puts his hand through some type of like invisible like, shield, oh yeah, and he suddenly That's... disappears, and then we don't see him at all. Until the last five minutes in a movie. And so, I mean, so the story behind how they pulled off to get Charlton Heston to do the sequel um, could probably be a book in itself because. Oh, I'm sure.
1: And then James Franciscus, who was actually a big TV star and movie star at the time, really, and he was actually really good. Very similar to. Charlton Heston had
0: the same kind of similar beard and everything. I mean, they, yeah. them, they made him up to look very similar to
1: him. Jason, I think we should write a uh, a prequel that somehow connects those two as either brothers, <laughs> cousins, maybe father and son. In through virtue of time travel, I don't know. You know,
0: there, there are enough of Planet of the Apes movies out there, but might as well get one more out there. Oh my goodness! I think it
1: was great, a great choice. So I think we're go- we're gonna wrap it up there with uh, the original Planet of the Apes. So Jason, thank you so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I think we need to come back though. I think we covered like five or six movies. You have thirty three of them, which you can check out on Insider. I recommend you do. This is a great gallery. I, and for me, it's great because you have a little bit of narrative. You've got the photos like of those key shots in these movies, the, the, the movie endings. and I appreciate it. I think you're a scholar of of film, and i I think people can learn a lot from you know pictures worth a thousand words and uh, a movie ending is worth a lot of discussion and interest. So thank you, Jason, for being on Many Screens Big Picture today. I
0: look forward to all the hate mail,
1: but um, Paul, it's been a great pleasure. Bring it on,
0: we love it. It was a lot of fun and uh, do it anytime, buddy.